Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including cursed wallpaper from a haunted mansion, a witch's familiar who killed its witch, and wine from Hannibal Lecter's wine cellar, which is not spooky on its own, but once he finds out someone stole it to bring it here, he's going to be pissed. He needed it to pair with asparagus and a heart and liver of that annoying uncultured dentist who, if we're being honest, really had it coming. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. All right, Mikey, let's start out, as we always do, with the uh, scariest things that happened to us this week outside of the scary basement. So what went on in your life that spooked you to your very bones? Roxy, I've got a big, big fear of hidden things snuck into video games. I feel like Mario 64 is kind of the biggest culprit of this fear like this idea that you would be running down a hall and a giant wario face would appear and attack you like you would do something mysterious in a video game and it would unlock an unbridled terror that you didn't even know you were tempting Uh and it happened this week with i know one of your favorite games uh near automata okay yeah i was wondering if that's what you were leading into because um actually that's the scariest thing that happened to me this week, Mikey, too. Okay, Which great. is this, the the secret door that leads to the church in Nier Automata. What year did this game come out? Uh, let me double check. I should know this off the top of my head. I think it's like five years ago, but let me it's double like check. It's like 2017, 2018-ish? It, did, it came out in 2017. Okay, so that is what? Five years that this game has existed. Yep. And a video just comes out of somebody playing this game and they find a hidden door in the wall and find a secret church that just exists in the game and they're running around. And Roxy, maybe you can describe it a little more. I played the game just a very little bit a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. So, and I've been following this entire saga all the way to its conclusion. Yes. I, it has captured my attention for like the past few days to a week. And like a lot of people I follow on Twitter are also very into the mystery and my discord as well, which by the way, if folks are listening, feel free to join. It's for everybody. We do monthly movie nights. What is that discord called Roxy? It doesn't really have a way to access it in the same way. If you go oh, to my Twitch words. channel. Yeah, it's not like, oh, you follow this web page. Um, oh, okay. It, but if you go to my Twitch channel, it, there's just an invite link that anybody can click on there. But so we've been talking about it a lot. <laughs> so it's a part in the game where you were in this place called the Copied City, which already looks like very unnerving and strange to begin with, because it's like this alien's idea of how to construct a human-like location out of Mm. essentially these stark building blocks. So it almost looks like the area itself is unshaded or incomplete. But so there's just a wall, a mat wall, that suddenly a prompt to open a door when you go close to it happens. And you can just go through this door. There's a room that has a ladder that leads down this very small, this very long ladder. There's an item down there that you can pick up and interact with. You open a door you go down this long hallway that is, like, twisted and turned and, like... Uh, haunted, does, it sounds like. It's very haunted-looking. Um, and turned on its side, kind of. And then you open this door, and it opens to this church. And so, like, that was the first... The first video you saw ended at the hallway. Then the next mm. video you saw ended with them going into the church, and there's even kind of a faux cutscene that looks like it could be cut content or something that shows the church... The character reacts. She says, like, what the hell is this? And then the little robot following you also makes a comment mm-hmm. about, like, we don't know what this is. And there is a shadowy pixelated figure that looks like it's kind of kneeling. And there is an altar at this church that is in the shape of a young girl and has a flower sprout- sprouting out of her. And then there's mm-hmm. a box that can only be opened by a particular character because you can control three different characters in this game, and the character that they were using to explore this space can't open it. So you're like, it's got a mystery box, too. (laughs) And so then that was the second video. And then the third one that came out had them accessing it as a different character, so they were able to replicate going down there and opening the box, and it has a note. And there's even, like, the traditional mini-game that they have to, like, open it, open the box. You were able to do that to open the box. There's a note. Um, And then opening the box makes that shadow creature thing that is kneeling attack you. So there's like an actual like scripted fight that happens. (laughs) So if you defeat it, 
it like falls on the ground. You can't interact with it. So they were just kind of like looking around to see like, well, what else can I do? Like shooting things, trying to like hit the wall, see if something happens. And then there's like this little bird bath kind of thing in the corner. And when they interact with it now, it gives you dialogue prompts and there's text and it's all in Japanese. And so it was translated and it's like stuff <laughs> that is like very lore appropriate and mysterious and weird. And it even gives you two dialogue choices. So there's dialogue choices like scripted mm. down here. So it really feels a lot like digital cave exploring. Like you found yes. a little nook in the world and crawled down and explored it and whatever you were finding down there it sounds haunting it sounds there's shadowy figures and talking bird baths we shouldn't yeah. see this man was not meant to see the digital church that near automata has tucked away in its source code and the thing is too there there's a, like a subreddit for it people were doing twitch streams to try and recreate it and like nobody had been able to recreate it except this one guy which like his name on reddit is like sad, sad futago which futago means twin in japanese and there's notoriously two different sets of twins in near automata that are very sad mm-hmm. <laughs> both of them are very sad so it was like hmm So is this some sort of marketing stunt? Like, what is this? It almost seems like too perfect. Because this game has notoriously not been able to be modded. So they were like, nobody could be modding this. Or they figured out how to mod it. So Mm. there's all kinds of theories being thrown out there. The way it was being presented, I was like, this has to be a marketing stunt. Like, the way they're slowly showing more and more and that only one person has ever been able to do it and nobody else can recreate it. Like, that's extremely suspicious. That nobody was dying. Nobody was in, in real, real life, life <laughs> finding the haunted church and then dying within seven days of the discovery. Yeah, so I, I was following this. Mikey, where I left off at in my explanation is kind of like the last thing you probably saw, right? Like, what, what was the last thing you looked up in regards to this? I uh, I was too afraid to click any of the articles. Oh, okay. it, it legitimately <laughs> frightens me, the idea that there is more going on in video games than I am capable of seeing. But uh, I did see uh, like a headline about the near automata frightening church scandal, not scandal, uh, situation <laughs> has wrapped up uh, a writer I really like, Imran Khan from Fanbyte, talked about how it was like the best possible ending is what he said, but he was like, it's one of the smartest marketing campaigns or something uh, that I saw. What was the reveal? What was it actually about? So the reveal is the reason why this is my scary thing or thing that upset me the most this week, because I was so plugged into it and I was like, this could be anything. But the the more like staged and purposeful it seemed, the more I was like, Okay, Yoko Taro would do something weird. Because, like, the creator of this game is notoriously, like, very unique. I like his stuff a lot, and I like him as an individual. He seems like a very fun dude. But he is also, like, he would troll people to do something like this. And, like, maybe this is leading up to the news that they're going to do a new game. Because he hasn't done, like, a new console release since, like, they did a remake of the original Nier game, which was, like, a 360 PS3 era game. So, like, they did a remake of the original Nier, but he hasn't done, like, a new console release game in a while. He's been working on some mobile stuff for for a bit. So, I was like, you know, timing could work out. Maybe he's going to release news on his new game he's going to do, and I'm so excited for that. Uh Uh-huh. And then it turned out to be they figured out how to mod the game, and modders did this. And they announced that by releasing an even longer video of, like more of the sections that they had done that look even more scary because, Mikey, they involve giants. You would be shrieking if you saw, like, the final video they released to finally oh, be no. like, oh, it's a, <laughs> it was a mod. It's not anything real. It's not a real secret. We just made it. Although the fact that they were able to figure out how to mod it is a huge thing. So internally, mm. I'm like, that's cool. They figured out how to do that. But internally, I'm, like, sad and mad that it's not an actual, like, official thing. So the game is being re-released on Switch. So people are like, hey, timing-wise, I guess it ended up being a marketing stunt that <laughs> Square Enix and, like, Platinum and Yoko Taro never actually made. The fans made it. <laughs> so in that okay. way, it's a marketing stunt, but in no way is it actually a marketing stunt. <laughs> okay, so you're scared that you kind of got sucked in and maybe were duped by uh, some fan creators. 
Yeah, even though, like, I, I would say, like, you know, it's cool if they figured out how to mod it, but at the same time, like, I kind of don't care if people figure out how to mod things. <laughs> like, that's not going to be new actual content in the world. I the famously <laughs> don't care. <laughs> and I've told modders this to their face. I don't care if you can mod a video game. To me, what was scary is this idea that I could be playing any video game and find a hidden church wherein I get cursed. But so if that was something that was coded into the game, though, you're you're scared by it, not enthralled by it? Well, it's hard to tell what's been coded into the game by uh, the developers and what's been coded into the game by ghosts. Oh, I see. Yes. Famously, I mean, ghosts Majora's Mask, yeah. Majora's Mask uh, the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, has been coded by a ghost named Ben. Um, there is a creepypasta that uh, we will link to. Uh, and, and that's he uh ben drowned is the original majora's mask mod yes yep yep it's true and it was made collectively on the internet <laughs> it's real it's a real thing somebody actually did create that and make it into reality though there's like videos of people yeah. making it like it kind was of a... ben <laughs> yes ben. i mean it haunted ben he became real after the internet uh collectively made him so now roxy in Nier Automata, you play as a robot who fights other robots, correct? Yes, basically. We got a robot who we ourselves fight. <laughs> <laughs> fight, yeah, emotionally and maybe someday physically, but not yet. Yeah, so I think I see Demon Bot coming over here. Okay, he's going to introduce our movie this week. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2000 film Ginger Snaps. Did you watch the film or your soul's forfeit? Uh, yes, Demonbot. I did watch Ginger Snaps. Roxy, did you watch Ginger Snaps? Yes, I also watched Ginger Snaps. Then you may keep your souls. For now. I'm surprised he let us talk about robots for so long before he showed up. So, either he was busy doing something. Who knows what, Mikey? I think maybe he's distracted. I don't know. Ugh, I hate to think what he's got <laughs> planned. <laughs> but anyway, how about we uh, do a... <laughs> Let's not speculate. <laughs> let's, let's I mean, we could, we could speculate all we want, Mikey, but that's not going to change the fact that we were brought down here to talk about Ginger Snaps this Great week point. and talk Great about point. it is what we're going to do. So how that's about for everybody listening at, at the door to also figure out what Ginger Snaps is all about? Let's give them a plot recap. I love it. Great plan. All right. So Ginger Snaps starts with an overcast Canadian suburbia where a dog is found torn to shreds. And this dog wasn't the first. A rash of dog murders have been happening all over the neighborhood. <laughs> we are then introduced to sisters Bridget and Ginger, who are obsessed with death and even made a death pact to get out of suburbia by age 16 or die. After getting bullied at school, the sisters devise a plan to kidnap the bully's dog and make her think it was killed by the neighborhood monster. While out trying to procure props for this... Ginger gets her first period, and the blood draws the actual murder monster, a werewolf, to them, to the girls. Ginger is bit by the creature and scratched, and Ginger and Bridget run away. At the last minute, they're saved when the local drug dealer, Sam, accidentally plows into the werewolf with his van. Ginger begins to transform after this night. She heals from her injuries, acts aggressively, even grows a tail, <laughs> and is now actually interested in sex as opposed to being grossed out by it like she previously was. And then, also, her menstruation cycle is even worse than usual. Even worse than it should be. She even has unprotected sex with a lunkhead named Jason, who she previously very much hated. And then outright beats up bully Trina <laughs> out in the open in front of teachers and students alike, <laughs> and she's having a great time doing it. While Ginger is going off the rails, Bridget finds drug dealer Sam, the only other person who she can trust, as he saw the werewolf too. So he won't think that she's crazy. After some cursory research, they determine that monkshood extract will help cure the werewolf's curse. But since it's a perennial plant, it's not currently available. Later, Bully Trina shows up at the girl's house, assuming they kidnapped her dog when it actually does go missing. <laughs> There's a scuffle, and Ginger pushes Trina, who hits her head and dies right in their kitchen. <laughs> they then bury Trina in the yard in their weird little playhouse. <laughs> their mother brings home some monk's hood from a craft store later that day, uh, and Bridget takes some to Sam so they can make a cure. But as they aren't sure it will work, Bridget needs to test it out. 
Lunkhead Jason is busy turning into a werewolf himself after his sexual interactions with Ginger, and he threatens Bridget when she comes upon him. Bridget then uses the experimental dose of the cure on Jason to see if it works. To her surprise, it does. It just works. (laughs) However, before Bridget can go to Sam to make more, she goes to school and finds that Ginger has killed their school counselor. Ginger then also kills the kindly janitor in front of Bridget. Finally, Ginger decides to continue her murder spree by saying she will kill Sam next and leaves for the cool teen party where Sam is. While doing gardening, their mother discovers two of Trina's severed fingers that fell off when they buried her corpse. Following her instincts, she then discovers the corpse of Trina in the yard in the weird little playhouse they had as kids. Because where else are these girls going to bury it? However, luckily for the girls, their mom is ride or die and does not turn them (laughs) in. Instead, she says she'll burn down the house and the three of them can leave town and start over fresh somewhere else. They don't need the dad to come. He he doesn't need to be there. Who cares? She tells us to Bridget as they drive to the party that Ginger said she'd go to so they can finally track down Ginger. At the party, Ginger is trying to seduce Sam, who refuses her. And for that refusal, oh, she injures him. Beats the shit out of him. Bridget shows up to stop Ginger from killing Sam, able to distract her only by cutting each of their palms and infecting herself with the werewolf curse. That way, Ginger knows that Bridget won't abandon her. She says they can leave their mom, their town, all of it. And while Ginger's distracted, Sam bonks Ginger on the head with a shovel. Bridget is determined to cure Ginger, and Sam is determined to help Bridget. So he agrees to help in general (laughs) with this whole plan. (laughs) The two of them and an unconscious Ginger go back to get the monk's hood at the girl's house, because that's where the remaining supply of it is, their, their mother's craft room. Uh, Sam is able to make one dose before Ginger wakes up and fully transforms. She's a big Hulk and werewolf now and attacks them. Sam is dragged off and Bridget must go after Ginger alone. She finds Sam injured in the basement and dying. She tries to save him by playing along to pretend to be like Ginger, drinking Sam's blood from the floor. Mm. However, Bridget can't do it for long. And she certainly can't save Sam doing it because try as she might, she can't be like Ginger and be a werewolf. And she can't live like her either. And she effectively rejects their bond in the process by standing up to Ginger, saying, no, I want to live. This causes Ginger to outright kill Sam and attack Bridget in hopes of killing her too. In their shared bedroom where they grew up, Bridget attempts to use a syringe with a cure to cure Ginger and also arms herself with a knife if she's got to use it. Unfortunately, the syringe is lost in the scuffle. She's unable to cure her and is forced to kill Ginger to save herself, stabbing her. Bridget hugs her sister and stays with her in her final moments as she passes away, the two of them now forever separated by death. And that is Ginger Snaps, Mikey. That is sure Ginger Snaps. (laughs) (laughs) The movie we watched this week. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think of this movie, Roxy? Oh, man, there is so much to talk about. This movie is ridiculous and fun and weird and puberty, am I right, Mikey? (laughs) (laughs) Big puberty. (laughs) Big puberty vibes, huh? (laughs) Roxy, I want to talk with you a little bit about former Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton. Um, okay, I trust you. Where is this going? Okay. Andy Dalton was a pretty good NFL quarterback. And he might still play in the league. I can't remember. He ended up on the Cowboys. Who gives a shit? Uh, He was a pretty good quarterback. And like of the 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, solidly 15, 16, right exactly in the middle. And they always referred to it as the Dalton line, where if your quarterback was better than Andy Dalton, your quarterback was considered a good quarterback and you could probably win with him. If your quarterback was worse than Andy Dalton, you have a bad quarterback, and it's probably time to start thinking about replacing him, either by uh, getting a new quarterback in free agency or through the draft. Okay. They referred to the Dalton line a lot. And it's kind of like a hard place to be on the Dalton line because you don't know whether you should replace your quarterback or not. So you're kind of stuck in limbo. You could lose him and get much worse, or you could take a shot and get much better. Uh Uh-huh. When we talk about horror movies, we trend towards... In big, interesting, silly, fun, like hyperbolic statements about the world. Okay. And there's also this other tier that we've accidentally stumbled upon <laughs> sometimes of like, uh, this is maybe too mean, but like 
direct to DVD schlock, <laughs> right? These yeah. kind of movies that are just like cheaply made and they don't have anything going on behind the the brains of their writers. They're just like making movies for the sake of movies and just to have cool kills that are uh cost eleven dollars in makeup to put together. Mm-hmm. And those movies are not great. I I tend to not enjoy them, certainly alone, and I, I'm not even big on the, like, mystery science theatering them with your friends anymore. Like, I'd almost oh, really? rather... Okay. It, like, I almost think it's more fun to do that to a movie that's, like, slow but kind of good, <laughs> as opposed to a movie that is, like, bad and then the joke is just that it's bad. All that is oh, to say... Oh, well, yeah, no, it, it's a difference between if something is made earnestly or not. Like, things can be made with the intention of they think it's going to be really scary, and then it doesn't. But something like Sharknado, I can't watch those. Bad on purpose, can't watch. Yes, very (laughs) much so. I would argue that Ginger Snaps is the Dalton line of horror movies. It is exactly in the middle, because there are a ton of moments in it that are super fun and silly and weird. Mm -hmm. And then, and and it is attempting, I would argue, too much to be a movie that's about something that is a metaphor for something relatable that we go through in our lives yeah there are tons of moments like that in the movie and then there are some moments in this movie that are like making movies with your buddy in the backyard bad yeah there there's some very made for tv moments and shots and just like the quality <laughs> of the camera at times will feel like it is somehow downgraded to look like you were watching like a, a tv right. show on pbs in like the I think this came out in 2000, so I thought it was more 90s, but it is, like, 2000, I think. So it was probably mm. made in 1999. So it was, like, just just there. It just barely that becomes an early 2000s movie. It literally exists if you come out earlier than Ginger Snaps, you're a 90s movie. If you come out later than Ginger Snaps, you're a 2000s movie. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you are a better movie than Ginger Snaps, you're, like, a pretty good horror movie. You've got something going on. If you're any worse than Ginger Snaps, you are a schlocky bad movie that you find at walgreens for 4.99 and no one buys do people buy these things it always stresses me out at walgreens the like dvd section they always have like like, giant bins yeah there's like one nintendo wii game (laughs) it's like skylanders Skylanders a bunch of horror movies and one like 18 dollar copy of like the blu-ray of Brad Pitt's bullet train. I feel like in a year, <laughs> Brad Pitt's bullet train is going to be like the king of Walmart, Walgreens, DVD bins. I don't even know what that movie is. That movie came and went and I never heard it's of it. It's coming out right. Recently? I think it's in theaters right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe that's why I'm not as up to date. But yeah, there, like, there is a metaphor here. There's a lot of metaphors. At yeah. Least I, I think like with the writing and the intention and everything, like it was very genuinely made. It feels very much, again, like they did the best they could with what they had on hand. Mm-hmm. And like we said, in some some ways, it ends up like hitting really well and coming across really good. And then in other mm-hmm. ways, it very much shows its hand at, yeah, you guys didn't have to budget for that, did you? Or like, <laughs> yeah, maybe this kid was a little too young to try and do a, a, a little better acting than what <laughs> he's doing right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I would argue... Jason kid, I'd say. There's a lot of moments in the script there are like written lines that are them reaching for metaphor, but uh-huh. it's just like, because again, you can have, there's the line, you hit it too hard, your metaphor is not subtle, and it's like, menstruation equals werewolfism. <laughs> boom, yeah. boom. And they do that a little bit, but then there's also your metaphor, if you don't hit it hard enough, then it's like unclear, and it's just like, why is this girl menstruating if it's a werewolf movie, right? There's there's yeah. a, a tough line to watch. When she gets her first period uh-huh. in the park, first of all, <laughs> uh, the blood trickles down her leg like a uh, marinara sauce. And then she says, oh, no, you've got the curse. Yeah, yeah, because like, I think that's how they refer to it as, because the thing is... Had they said that earlier in the movie? They're, like, 15, 16, and they haven't had their period yet, which is not normal. But, I mean, there, there's all kinds of ways. Like, it's not unnatural by any means. It's just, statistically, normally you would have had your period by mm-hmm. by this point. And so they, they are very obsessed with the idea of death, and, like, they make that death pact, that suicide pact to, like, get out of suburbia by 16? Like, you haven't even graduated high school by 16. <laughs> it's very much like the kind of dumb thing an eight-year-old would make because they talk about how, like, they made this pact when they were eight. And yeah. when you're eight, 
a 16 year old seems like a lot more grown up and like mm. mature and like, yeah, you're, you're, you're in more control of your life at 16. No, you're not. Would you want to say at least 17 so you would have a year with your driver's license to potentially drive away and scout out somewhere else to live? Yeah, like you would think like when you graduate practical? high school, which is 18, and like when you're mm. an adult legally, which is 18. So it, it would make a lot more sense to be like, yeah, when we're 18, get out of suburbia or die. Okay. <laughs> like when you're 16, like it's just setting yourself up for failure and a lot of pressure. Yeah. And especially if it's like both of them are doing it. And yeah. And that's why I said this movie has at least two metaphors going on. Like the werewolfism is, yes, a metaphor for hormones coming in as you become an adult. It's also this metaphor for like these two girls growing apart. Like one is becoming an adult and and having like real relationships with boys. And well, I I wouldn't say real. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, fair. Having a relationship. A, a relationship with boys <laughs> while she's still like, boys are yucky. So there's that, like, we are growing apart. But this death stuff is kind of awkward. Like, it it happens, it's very heavy at the beginning of the movie. There's a well, lot of talk about yeah. death. And, it, and then they stop talking about death. And how death they think it's the like cool. The they're, they're, they're goth chicks who don't dress as gothy, essentially, right. is kind of the vibe that they give. <laughs> right. But I think also, in a way, it is about codependency and control. So, like, Ginger Mm. very much controls Bridget, in a way, which is oftentimes, for the the majority of the movie's runtime, uh, unhealthy. Because it kind Mm -hmm. of keeps Bridget from standing on her own more independently and making her own decisions. Which, ultimately, by the end of the movie, you know, she's able to stand up and do that. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, at every turn, like, even the mom is like, just because she does that doesn't mean you have to do that, you know? And, like, Sam, once they realize, I don't think we can safely cure Ginger, he's like, we should just leave here. Like, and she's like, no, I can't. I, I have mm-hmm. to, I have to figure this out one way or another. Um, And the fact that, like, when she goes to save Sam in the basement, part of her, like, drinking the blood from the floor to, like, mm-hmm. trick her werewolf sister is... You can tell it's she's thinking, can this be my life? Can I keep living with mm-hmm. her like this? Because it goes on for a very long time, which maybe the first time you view it, it doesn't feel as awkwardly long. But the second time I was like, Jesus, she just keeps going. Why? This feels like the scene is five minutes long. But mm-hmm. so part of it is like to distract her so she can hopefully try and save Sam. But like part of it is she's trying to even figure out if she can live as a werewolf with her sister or not. If she can keep... That's- Keep up this codependent relationship if she can do it or should should do it. Mm-hmm. That was my read of it, too. Like, I actually uh, at first thought she, that was her, like, succumbing to the werewolf curse. Like, she oh, okay. was becoming a monster and was able to, like, pull herself out of it. I like your take a lot better, that she is manipulating her and then also trying on the idea like a suit coat. Yeah, because, always... like, they, they do love each other and care about each other. But, yeah, you also get the... The vibe that, despite the fact that Ginger is doing all of these reckless things that are spurred on by her puberty and werewolf-like aggression and hormones and everything, Mm -hmm. she also feels like she kind of can't exist unless she has Bridget with her, which is why she's trying to hold on so tightly. Like, she's trying Mm -hmm. to control her because she cares about her and depends on her as much, too, and is scared that Bridget doesn't need her. Because, in a way, like, she is able to grow past their relationship and become like her own independent person by the Mm -hmm. end of it and i think as outwardly controlling and like confident as ginger seems she also recognizes that bridget would be fine without her ultimately yeah it's it it is like it, it does make sense like i remember in the first few minutes of this movie wondering like which one is going to get bit by a werewolf and which one would be more fun to be bit by the werewolf Mm-hmm. And turning the sister who is, like, actively, menacingly controlling her sister, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world that she would become the villain. If it is about this desire to cling to them. Yeah. It's such a hat on a hat <laughs> that it is death and menstruation and codependency. Like, if you want to do th- – like, I I'm hadn't really considered the codependency angle that much. I mean, oh, it's really? about her. It's about her breaking free from it, but I think I like it way more. It's like, if you're going to do a codependent story, like, Bridget's got to be, like, kind of popular. Like, Bridget's got to be, like, somebody who is, like, 
realizing there are problems with being so linked heavily to her sister and then Maybe. being menaced by it. What, why do you think she has to be popular? I mean, she, she obviously doesn't have to be. Okay. <laughs> this movie can, anything can happen. But it's like to top this like super bizarre death fascination, like it's not unusual. I know a lot of people do have this, but it's a very specific character trait, right? That they are both going down together. And it was so odd to me that it's like, the it seemed like it was going to be the entire movie it was about these two oh. weird goth girls and then they I mean, stopped is... being goth girls while they dealt with the werewolf stuff well, and then I mean, they, they like reminded oh, us of it <laughs> at the end they're like don't forget we had a pact to commit suicide together and i was like oh yeah you did huh yeah you i think they, like they always girls. yeah i don't know it it still got that same vibe i guess throughout it's just like you know they're not 16 yet they're still 15 i guess so it's like that's kind of the deadline. But mm. you also get the the sense that, like, neither of them have relationships with anybody outside of each other. So, like, mm. this is the first time that Ginger is going off and then, yeah, hanging out with that shitty dude who she hates. <laughs> and then you've got Bridget, who is going to Sam, which, by the way, I want to commend the movie for not making Sam a love interest, especially because he's older than them. He's just trying yeah. to help out because he's like, this is a fucked up situation that these poor kids are in. I will try and help you. So, pretty pretty good portrayal of a drug dealer who hangs out with high schooler kids. All things considered, he's yeah, pretty, he's pretty chill. Yeah, he he's actually just being trying to be helpful and like yeah. almost ab- abnormally so. Like the way you're saying that, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's why my instinct was to make her or is to make Bridget a popular kid because like if she's starting to have relationships with uh and maybe popular isn't right but she's like got other friends who are like hey bridget are you gonna come to the uh sock hop this weekend and she like kind of wants to go but she's like no i gotta stay with my sister yeah crazy antisocial okay this is becoming a problem for her it's not that Mm -hmm. she like i don't know the idea of her growing away from her death cult for ginger it's like that's kind of positive (laughs) like we don't really like her being a death cult suicide yeah Teenager? I mean, that, that's why ultimately that is, like, the more positive change is that she's like, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. need to do this. Because you even, in that opening scene when they're talking about it and stating that, you already get the feeling that, like, Bridget is like, we made that pact when we were eight. Like, whatever. That's not, uh-huh. that's not really that real. So you get the feeling that Bridget is already past it, even when they're like that. But then Ginger is the one who's like, well, whatever, like, we made a pact. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. she would hold a gun to her head and force her to actually, like, make good on it when they became adults or when they became Unless she became a A werewolf. werewolf. (laughs) The the, the wrench that's thrown in so many relationships. Unfortunately, someone becomes a werewolf and now we've got everything changes. Yeah, which, I mean, like we said before, is kind of like the metaphor for puberty, of course, Mm -hmm. to, like, advance that. And I think also puberty is about becoming your own person. So the codependency of this Mm -hmm. is kind of like when they were kids, they were more codependent on each other and could get away with that and didn't question it as much as, like, now they're growing up and have to actually question what it's going to be like to live separately, to become their own people, which is part of growing up. Um, so it, it is separate things, but it's also kind of the same thing in a way. The, the the reason that the death stuff felt so off to me is because it felt so different than puberty and codependency and like what a real relationship between these two people would be. Well, I guess it was it was like the control of the codependency is what it kind of manifested right. like. But, for but it's me, just like I it guess, almost but... like at that point, it's like you could have spun a wheel of specific. Like, they could have been mm. obsessed with My Little Ponies. And it's like, what, you want to have sex with a not person dressed up like a little pony? <laughs> no, we made a pact at eight that we were going to be My Little Pony fetishists. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. But that, so that I was trying to think, like, why would you choose death as part of your puberty metaphor? And I was kind of trickling down this idea that was kind of interesting to me, this notion that, like, this movie is also very much concerned with, like, the end of childhood. Right. There's a scene at the Mm. end of the movie where we very clearly get a shot of the framed picture in the hallway of them as children. And then werewolf Ginger bumps into the wall and knocks down the picture of them as innocent children and the picture shatters. It's like, all right, got it. Childhood's over. And there is something kind of interesting about puberty being the very first sign in your life that, hey, you're moving forward. Death is coming. Death is at the end. This is step one towards death because you are growing older. You are growing out of this innocence. 
And I was like, is that what they're like, again, me giving this movie too much credit. I don't think they were (laughs) getting there. But like, that's why you would choose a specific like, we're kids who are obsessed with death, because we're obsessed with like, skipping past all of this. And it's like about being present. Like there's, there's some way to tie multiple themes together. The fact that this movie didn't, I was just like, all right, great. We've got two and a half to three themes happening in this film. So I think also it's like a sign of their rebellious attitude and like rejection of traditional like norms. Because that's a whole thing too, is that they don't want to be like everybody else. It's like, oh, great. (laughs) I got my period just like fucking everybody else in this cookie cutter suburban landscape that I hate because everybody's the (laughs) same and everybody has just like decided how their life is going to live out. Like, yeah, what? Now I got... My period, so I'm gonna like marry some asshole and then just like have a couple of kids and be a stay at home mom for the rest of my life, and then that's just my life being planned out. Like I have no agency in it. Mm-hmm. So they're trying, which is a fear. Yes, it it is a genuine fear, and I think unless that's something you're really into, then more mm-hmm. power to you, I guess. But it is kind of like this institutionalized fear for women, where a lot of girls can feel pressured into being like, well, that's all you're worth, and that's all you're gonna do mm-hmm. with your life, kind of. Yeah. So I think they're also rejecting that as they're getting older so that but then that just adds like another additional thing where it's like anytime you have to make that mental leap from it's like well it's not about death it's about anti-authority it's like well just make them anti-authority let let them be punks i guess they are yeah reduce the fraction of this storytelling and let them be something clear yeah i think for me watching it it didn't really come off as too much of an extra thing added to the movie's flavor. It was mm. fine for me, especially like a werewolf is kind of an agent of death, like and destruction. <laughs> it's just it's a creature that kills more than it, you know, I don't know, saves little bunny mm-hmm. rabbits and befriends them. <laughs> so it, it felt like since it's a horror movie, like sure, whatever. That's something I would expect to find. Well, here's the thing. There was um in the begin in the opening montage, the as the credits of this movie are playing, they are showing these girls like photography work where they have staged yeah. their own suicide or murders or killings in photographs. And they're all pretty like the kind of things you would expect, right? They're hanging or they're lying in a pool of blood or whatever. There is one that's so funny that made mm-hmm. me think like, is this movie going to be weird as fuck? <laughs> uh-huh. Where there's one where uh, Bridget is lying on the ground and she has coins over her eyes, oh, which is uh-huh. like, what is, I want to say it's the ancient Egyptian death ritual that, like, you have these coins on your eyes to pay the toll there's man a couple, to get you. Yeah, there's a couple of different traditions in different parts of the world that have historically done that. Uh, but yeah, paying the ferryman. I was like, are they going to be just like, these kids are just, like, hilariously sillily ob- obsessed with death? And then everything else, of their obsession with death was kind of like what you'd expect from those kind of teenagers. But I was like... This is exciting. This is like the mm-hmm. weirdest specific I've ever seen. And that was like, it was like a heighten. It was like, we know, okay, we got it. They're obsessed with death, hanging, uh, slicing each other's throats, whatever. Coins on the eyes means like, they're also obsessed with like the culture around death, which is very funny. And it's like trying to figure out what point. the next heighten of that <laughs> would be. Like they're uh, uh, literally like interviewing morticians or something like if they're just like fascinated by death like that Mm -hmm. felt very specific and weird to me so that was a delight the other thing that i thought this movie did that was so funny that they don't like feels more like a mistake than a a hilarious heighten oh the very first scene of this movie is uh, a woman and her young two or three-year-old son finding their dog's bloody corpse it has been torn apart by the werewolf and then uh-huh. she runs outside and screams to the children out in the neighborhood mm-hmm. playing hockey mm-hmm. that it got Baxter. The mm-hmm. beast of the neighborhood got Baxter. And the kids playing hockey do not react. They, they really giggle don't. and they go back to hockey. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Bridget is also out there too. And she's like, yeah, the beast got Baxter. And Ginger's like, whatever. <laughs> and right. so she was there to like witness it too. Like, it's such a mundane thing for people's dogs to get murdered that, like, nobody gives a shit. Yes. And I think and it's that's... a comment on that suburban complacency as well, that just nobody gives a shit. I, I could see that. I thought they were going to go the route of just, like, yeah, this happens a lot in this town, and everybody's just so used to it that, like, ten minutes into this movie, I was just like, 
why does anybody in this town even keep buying dogs? Like, yeah, really, it's honestly. It's cruel to the dogs to bring them to this neighborhood where it's so commonplace for them to be ripped apart uh-huh. that nobody, it's just passe at this point. They're like, yep, the beast got Baxter. I get it, lady. Yeah, like, stop with your crying. Go do that in your own yard. Why do you bring it to the street where everybody else got to hear it? And it kind of gets into it later when, like, towards the back half of this movie, when they start murdering people as werewolves, the teen girls who are the heroes of the movie start killing their bully. And she goes missing, and it's like her mom has some conversation. It's like, the police said that Ginger got into a fight with the girl who went missing. They're like, yeah, she did. And then she's just like... Girls, you're fighting in school now? I don't understand what's what it's like also teen girls disappearing is another <laughs> commonplace thing in this town that people are like, yeah, 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 the girl's probably dead, but you're behaving oddly at school. Yeah, I think that so the mom, we haven't talked a ton about her, but her's a character. She's very funny and extremely exaggerated and ridiculous. Yes. Like she's very positive and upbeat and bubbly and like in an unnatural way to a degree like when ginger gets her first period she bakes her a cake and presents her with a cake which like Uh even a normal teen would hate that let alone your specific teenager who fucking hates that and that is her reaction (laughs) she's and like anytime like bridget distracts her so ginger can do a thing by literally just being like oh can you tell me about boys like what do boys want and she's, uh-huh. like, so overjoyed to be asked about it and, like, sits her down with milk and cookies in the living room. And they don't show the discussion, but you see post the discussion that they have been mm-hmm. there for, like, hours listening to whatever the fuck she <laughs> said. And she's got, like, sweaters that have, like, whatever, like, little graphics on them like, in a very kind of no real person would wear this. But also mm-hmm. you do know some moms who wear this. She's got, like, a little scrunchie on the top of her head. And, like, these little curly bang bits that look so funny. She's, like, reading <laughs> a self-help book or something about, like, so your teen won't listen to you or something <laughs> like that. The mom is a Saturday Night Live. Like It's just like she- Kristen Wiig would play this mom on yes. Saturday Night Live. She uh-huh. is exaggerated she has no interior life she has nothing going yes. on beyond her daughter's menstruation and and i guess a hatred well for you think father. that until she finds the body and then she makes that turn because you'd think she'd be such a goody two-shoes but then she's like mm, no actually okay this is bad and they're going to blame the mom because they always will even though it's like she the mom couldn't control her becoming not a werewolf <laughs> Like, it's not her fault. It's, not, it's actually not your fault that your daughter is murdering. And it seems like you went out of your way to do everything you could to make sure she would never want to do something like that. But she's right. Society is always blaming the parents. They will. And specifically the mom. For werewolves. always. It's always the mom's fault. You know, when they're blaming parents for kids doing this, they, they'll be like, amorphously the parents both of them or the mom you know it's never just the dad's fault usually Uh he's never the first one to get blamed and so she is like they're always gonna blame the mom so like who cares we'll just abandon your dad and go off like she seems so so ingrained into like the stereotypical like yeah I'm, i'm the mom that's what we do this is how we live but then she's like willing to be like no we'll just leave your dad behind burn down the house leave go somewhere and start over completely new just us girls it's <laughs> very so much like a, it's a cartoon reaction to like oh my daughters are killing people let's abandon your dad like i'll get what i need yeah it. like and bridget responds she's like i you know i still like my dad right <laughs> like you know i don't want to do this and she's like no yeah. no no we don't need him the dad has literally no lines in this entire movie. Yeah, until does he, he even speak one line? Uh, like, there's maybe two lines of disgust, he says, he I think, He does one or two eventually times. find the bully's fingers in their garden. And he goes like, honey, oh, yeah. come take a look at this. So I thought they were going to do the thing where he has no lines the entire movie. And then I was hoping to Christ that they would pin all the murders on the dad. Oh, my God. Which would have been my favorite ending. Possibly. I mean, that would have been a way to do it. Maybe that's what people would have assumed when they escaped or something. Right? Right? Yeah. Did our teenage girls do this, or did this weird silent man who is seething at his wife? And yeah. Her... <laughs> yeah. Was he's it a total him? suspect. What a great movie. Yeah. So I guess we kind of, I don't even know if we need to get into this since we kind of already did, but like the <laughs> main 
point of the movie? Like, the, what what are they trying to say? What What is the big idea of the movie when you boil it down to it, I guess, Mikey? It, we've we've basically said it in longer terms, but what would be your, your elevator short pitch? I mean, my this? problem with the movie, I think, is that there's almost too many. So mm. there's... The, the idea, uh, like, I would argue that the myth of the werewolf is about our animal urges coming to the fore, right? We are, mm-hmm. when you go through puberty, all of a sudden your hormones start kicking in and you act not like yourself, but you act like this sex-starved anti-authority maniac. And you don't, because you don't know how to deal with it. Like, that's a good werewolf metaphor. Mm-hmm. There's also death getting closer and closer to the grave. And maybe we're not supposed to be skipping these steps. I think you're right about codependency. I think there's just kind of this grab bag of like, not even half ideas. These like 25% ideas. <laughs> this movie's kind of playing with all of them. The mom has something weird going on. It's about like mm-hmm. uh, uh, this idea of like picking and choosing who your family is. <laughs> like there's almost too much going on to say it has one big idea. It's a ball of worms. It's a big can of worms. And all these little themes are wriggling all about. And all we can do is, from us afar, glance at that can of worms and say, damn, a lot of worms in that can. Yeah, what do you I think suppose, the big idea is? I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I think you can boil a lot of those things down where you're saying it's like, maybe they didn't fully commit to like one idea or the other. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of all encapsulated and kind of comes to a head in just like growing up. All of those things are kind of parts about growing up and accepting what it means to be like an adult human in what mm-hmm. our society is like now, or like in the year 2000 when this came out. <laughs> um, so I think they can kind of all be tied together to just be like, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into becoming an adult actually it's all of these things um Mm. which turns out there's a lot of them and obviously in reality it's even more complex than that Mm -hmm. but it's kind of about them accepting what that means and moving past it into be becoming an adult i guess Mm. that's kind of how i saw it i could see that i i just had somebody uh a writer friend of mine and i were talking and he was saying how you want your story to be like an onion. Like there's one idea at the core and you're peeling away layers and everything mm-hmm. is kind of bursting from that. And I do kind of like this idea. It's like, what is it to grow up? But for, for me, a lot of it feels like it's an onion, but instead of there being layers on top of the onion, it's like there is uh, sushi paper <laughs> wrapped on it. And it's like, I guess that's the shape of an onion. And then there's a uh, pudding that you're kind of coating it, coating the onion in. And it's like, yes, that is still maintaining the shape of the onion. It's just not all, <laughs> not all onion layers. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not going to stand here and say it hit everything a hundred percent correctly for me, but I think, Oh, to be clear, I think it did everything perfectly. Oh, okay. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent perfect movie. Put it on a pedestal. I think, I think give it an award. All, all movies should have this many ideas. <laughs> Uh, Mikey, do you have a question for me? I do. Yes. Okay. So we're watching this movie. We're watching Ginger and Bridget being all weird, surly, anti-authority, pro-death. Did you ever go through a phase, Roxy, where you were this kind of miscreant teen? Um, yes and no, I guess. I kind of did, but I don't really consciously, like, rem- like remember making the choice to do that. But the- hmm. I-, I remember there was a point in time... Where, like, my mom said, I remember this very distinctly. I was, like, sitting in the car, and she was like, okay, Daria, or something like that to whatever the hell I said. Uh And I was like, oh, what? Was I being like that? (laughs) And in case you guys don't know what Daria is, because I didn't think about how I would have to explain this, actually, but I do need to, because there's plenty of people who either, one, didn't watch it, or two, Mm -hmm. didn't grow up in this time period, have no idea what the fuck I'm saying. Uh, it was a cartoon on MTV about, like, a kind of sullen, monotone, outsider teenage girl and her friend uh, going to high school. Um, and, like, right. her sister is, like, the most one of the most popular kids. It's a very good show, actually, and I'd highly recommend watching it or re-watching it. But she's very... On Paramount Plus. It might even be... Yeah, okay, there you go. But she is very notoriously deadpan and, like, gives off that I don't give a shit about... Mm-hmm what is going on very anti-authoritarian kind of not wanting to listen to like her more upbeat parents and whatever (laughs) so i was Uh, like oh i guess i'm doing that okay (laughs) i think it's interesting that you had like you didn't see yourself that way but it was coming across to other people yeah i guess i was acting that way because i had the exact same thing oh really did you 
I had a, uh, I remember for one Christmas, I had a cousin who I saw not that much. We're like closer friends now as adults than we were as kids. Mm -hmm. And he got me like a book about like, it was like a picture book about like these 10 little orphans who all uh, got killed in different ways. And it was like one of those. Like an Edward Gorey kind of like storybook or something. Uh, I don't know Edward Gorey, but yes. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Like, uh, the the kind of uh, Tim Burton-y sort of yes, like yeah. joyful, macabre kind of things. And yeah. I was like, I'm not into this. And he was like, I got it for you because it's like, I know you're into like that weird death stuff. And I was like, am I? <laughs> I didn't know that about myself. I do think there's something that goes on. Listen, I'm not going to throw your mom under the bus. She's a beautiful lady. I love her very much. People like you and me are like weirdo creatives. And I think a lot of times people see that and they're just like, oh, they're in the other category. And so therefore it's easy to just like glom on everything that is in the other category as yeah, like and your creative self. I mean, I can see also like, Mikey, we have a horror movie podcast. So we are like interested <laughs> in these sorts of things. So That's even if call. it's not like, I, I think very much about like death and dying and how cool it would be to die. Like, I'm not thinking that, but it's like. Oh, I like the Nightmare Before Christmas. Or, oh, I like the horror episodes of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like spooky shit. Okay. Yeah, so then, like, somebody who is on the outside looking in is going to interpret that in a different way than you do. And then, and then suddenly you've got a cousin buying you a death orphan book <laughs> because that's, he thinks they're into it. That's a much better and less selfish version of thinking about it that like it's not that other people are misreading me it's that i'm sending signals that i'm not recognizing are putting yeah, out this it's both of, of these things yeah yeah <laughs> no it's mostly the thing you said okay we we've talked about how realistic this movie is mikey <laughs> <laughs> how much it is akin to real life so on a scale of one to nine because the number 10 does not exist down here uh how likely is this movie to happen in real life? Ginger snaps. Roxy, I said a one. Is it a one? Okay. I said a one. Not just because of werewolves. Listen, werewolves, unfortunately, do not exist. Not it's unfortunately, very fortunately. Uh, I mean, which kind of werewolf? These these werewolves do kind of suck. These werewolves. They're not ideal. And to be clear, there are tons of werewolves down here in the scary basement. Basically, we don't have rats in the scary basement. We have werewolves. And they're scurrying about. And sometimes I see one and I get startled. But then I just put down a trap. Well, because there's different ones. Sometimes there's ones like the movie Twilight. Sometimes there's ones like the Ginger Snaps mm. werewolf. Sometimes there's other more sexy werewolves <laughs> down Some here of them somewhere. very, very small. Some mm. of them very, uh-huh. very large. Yes. Uh, they go from tarantula size to meteorite size. What? Truck size. How about truck size? And truck size. Because I was going to say meteors can still be any size. Mike. <laughs> still means nothing. <laughs> truck size. Absolutely. There you go. Yeah. Um, but my main point, the reason I think that this movie is not super realistic, and this is something we've definitely talked about in The Faculty, mm. movies set in high school where the characters comment on the nature of high school uh-huh. is not how it works. <laughs> like, we're not. Yeah. I, there is no kid more meta than me, like, TV seeped and movie seeped in my brain into a way that I'm like, well, I'm like the hero of this story. And uh, you're the, you're kind of like the uh, recurring guest star. Like I did talk that way, but I never once said stuff like uh, high school is just a breeding ground. Like people don't talk like that. People don't like (laughs) make these like broad cultural connotations of the thing they're in because they're too busy being in it. So yeah, it's only a writer writing a movie about high school kids in the nineties and two thousands. I would say, uh, I'm rewatching the Sopranos right now. And Mm. that show is, uh, probably the funniest show I've ever seen, but even they are very guilty of it quite often where they'll have like Meadow Soprano, Tony Soprano's daughter will be like applying to colleges. And then, his uh, Tony Soprano's wife, Carmela, will just go on this long rant of like, you know, the way col- college admissions work these days, if you don't have a letter from somebody else, your grades don't matter. It's from it's because of the post baby boom. Like, it's very didactic. It's very clear. Like, okay. I've got a point to make and I am using my characters to say it. And uh-huh. uh, when you're talking about the the grand specter that is high school, it turns out that betrays a little bit of your character's reality. 
Yeah, what and I think, think especially when you've got adults writing children too, where it's it's very hey fellow kids kind of vibe to it. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where it's like no no actual teenager would be talking like this, and you were a teenager once, so you should know that too. But okay, no, you're like a middle aged writer writing this. Got it. Okay. Yeah, we get yeah, it. Yeah, it falls apart a little bit. Um. So I think I I was a little more charitable and gave it a four out of nine. Oh, because okay. a lot of like the puberty metaphor, having to deal with life, codependency, growing up, kind of things do definitely happen. Happens to the best of us. We all go through puberty. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> I wish I never had. I wish I was a uh, a sweet baby child still singing in those green gardens of the Garden of Eden. Wow, you had a pretty sweet childhood, turns out, Mikey. <laughs> Sounds uh, fun. S- unfortunately, I sang in my chains like the sea, so says Dylan Thomas in his beautiful poem, Fern Hill. We're trapped in innocence, Roxy, and it's our job to break three. Well, I I hope we did. I guess at this <laughs> age, I should hope we did. We did, uh, because we went through puberty. Th- there you go. Congratulations. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, guys. <laughs> Um, so last week, we made a bet, Mikey. Mm-hmm. The bet was, how many werewolf transformations are in this movie? Um, you I said, said... I said eight. Okay. And I said five. The answer, Mikey, is one. <laughs> there is only one transformation, and it is Ginger at the end, and that that's it. Like, there, there is another werewolf present that bites her we don't see it transform there's another mm-hmm. kid she infects he doesn't ever transform he's just like kind of being a creepo and then the bridget stabs him with the cure so he never gets to be a werewolf either well, i i would argue that because here's what i was doing as i was going through this movie um you know generally when we do these kind of bets i'll keep a little tally mark mm-hmm. and what i was doing was doing tally marks but in very light pencil and with question marks next to them uh-huh. because it's like I would argue that her growing a tail is a werewolf transformation. So it's like a kind of, she's kind of like in the middle of transforming. And hmm. so I would argue, like I wrote down potentially six. Really? There were six stages of the transformation. And then I also was counting the stages of the transformation of uh, Lunkhead Jason. Mm-hmm. Because these were like, they, they never became full on werewolves, but they were transforming. Like he did have... Teeth and boils. <laughs> uh, yeah, got the Jason's acne makeup on his face. So gross. Transformation. So it doesn't matter. The point is you won under all circumstances. Yeah, I guess <laughs> even if it was <laughs> the six. Yep. If it was one, if it was six, if it was two. Uh, a two is, I think, where I would fall. I would argue that Ginger transformed and Lunkhead Jason transformed, even though he didn't get a full transformation. He did become yeah. something different. But it all boils down to the same... It all comes out in the wash. You took home the point. Yeah, we we got one rubber werewolf puppet at the end, <laughs> or animatronic, <laughs> whatever it was. So yeah, so, I guess I I win. So what is what is the total? What's the bet total right now, Mikey? That what do you got? Puts the total bet score as Roxy with twenty six points, Mikey with twenty two points, Ty with two points. Something happens at thirty. <laughs> That was a Dracula. Okay, because I was going to say, Mikey, you're very enthused about something. We have no idea that could be mean both of our deaths. Nah, um, this Dracula who's right next to my microphone leaned over and laughed like a <laughs> villain. Like, no good person has ever laughed like that. Well, he is a Dracula, so he's leaning into it. He's having a good time. At least somebody's having a good time, I guess. Speaking of other people who want to ruin our good time, uh, I see DemonBot <laughs> coming over here to give us the next movie for next week. Congratulations, you have successfully reviewed Ginger Snaps. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must review the 1984 film Children of the Corn or your souls will be forfeit and I shall claim your bodies as my own. Okay, Roxy, so Children of the Corn's on the docket. Yeah, which is going to be extra great for you because you famously have beef with uh, Stephen King. One-sided beef with Stephen King. King do not get along. I, one-sided beef i will say stephen king has no part in this actually <laughs> i don't want to hurt stephen king but if i ever met him i'd wrestle him i'd take him down to the ground and pin him i don't know how much the wrestling he consumes so he might not know wrestling moves so you might actually be able to get one over on him Mikey. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah this is my world baby <laughs> yeah stepped in the wrestling world <laughs> so next week we got to make a bet for children of the corn okay yes here's my sure proposal do. all right 
Roxy, how many times do you think the word children will be uttered in dialogue in the movie Children of the Corn? In dialogue. Um, I'm going to guess four, which seems very okay. small, but I'm going to guess small this time. Four. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say nine. Because okay. I think there'll, I mean, I think there'll be a lot of digits. scenes yeah. where somebody is saying like, oh my God, what are there so many children here? What's are wrong with children? that child? What's wrong with that ch- these children? <laughs> is that children of the corn? What's wrong with these children of the corn? Why are they of the corn anyway? Why are they living in the corn? <laughs> let, let me tell you one thing about children. I don't like them if they're of the corn. Yeah, it's not natural. It's just not and natural. That's something you got to put that's on a vegetable, your... vegetable, not a mammal. You want to put it on your Tinder profile? Because if you are with somebody who does want to have children of the corn, like it's better to not like invest too much in the relationship. Yeah, right? you got to be on the same page for something like that. It's very important. <laughs> Um, so we've been talking about a lot of monumental life things that can turn your whole world upside down when you become an adult. Mm-hmm. So not the most happy thing, but uh, I think we should talk about what's going to make us the happy this week. And we're starting off on a high note already because guess what, guys? As we are recording this, it's Mikey's birthday! Yay! Yeah, birthday! Wahoo! It's so my Mikey, birthday. instead of talking about like what's made us happy this week, what's going to make you happy? What are you doing for your birthday that is rad, rad as hell? What's up? Well, I'm going out for dinner with my girlfriend, and then Yay. next week I'm having a little bar get together with some buddies. Also awesome. Get together and meet up, and I'm going to bounce between the different little cliques of friends that I have, and everybody's going to buy me drinks, and I'm going to get fucked up. In the best way. Sounds great. Yeah. And then I might make uh only birthday is the day when i get that drunk <laughs> because i think I... that's the most responsible thing because also the every year you get older the more that becomes difficult to deal with especially like the next day and possibly the day after exactly so... listen for me i'm at like three days before i'm at full health for not drinking that much yeah it's uh the, oh, probably the ravages of age we're only in our 30s mikey the fact that it's happening to us like this in just our 30s what is the next decade gonna be like what the fuck yeah i think that one will be uh we get a second win maybe maybe it gives me a lot more appreciation for people who can handle that kind of stuff mm. the older you get like holy shit excited about it um, uh, but also, I think I uh, sent you a little something, Mikey. Are we going to open it live on air? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, you can just hand it to me. We're together in the scary basement. That's true. <laughs> but for those of you at home, I, I sent Mikey a birthday present. You might want to get scissors for that. I think I taped oh, it up call. to make sure I'm it didn't fall apart. <laughs> so I sent Mikey this not knowing we were initially going to be doing this live. So uh, hopefully it lives up. <laughs> I'm excited. I will have to explain something about this because there is something weird about it. Okay. What could be weird? <laughs> That's exciting. Okay. Not necessarily Opening. a bad weird. It's more of like too much of a good thing kind of weird. I'm going to be like, why did you do this? Okay. We've got, ooh, we've got some dark chocolate almonds. They're very this good. And I also, I always feel bad when you're like, I'm going to the gym and I'm being really healthy and I'm taking care of myself. So I'm like, here we go, halfway in between there. You got almonds Absolutely and you got the healthiest candy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love this. It's a little Claire Redfield keychain. She's my yeah. favorite character from Resident Evil with her inventory. Oh, shit. The inventory keychains are so good. And I think it's two different. Is it uh, RE2 Claire and Code Veronica Claire? I think on it's double-sided. Oh, it is outfits. double-sided. Oh, it's Code Veronica. And it's uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. And okay. I can't remember if the items reflect differently for the different games or they might be the same. I'm not sure. They're, I they remember are distinctly the same corrupt, items. But... Yeah, Claire's but she rad. doesn't have any cool, any cool items. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So the, these two, the, these other things are the things I have to explain. Where um, which one did you open first? Okay. Yeah, it's that one. It looks like a flag. <laughs> <laughs> it is straight up a flag. <laughs> yeah, it's like a wall hanging. <laughs> the box art for Resident Evil Two. <laughs> yep, it's giant. I'm gonna put this on my bed. Hell yeah. Okay, you can use it for that. I was thinking it could be like a stream background. Um, but so 
This one is the ideal one I wanted to get for you. So this one, this the one you're opening next is the first thing I got when I was like, well, there isn't a PlayStation version, so I'll take what I can mm. get. <laughs> so now you have two of these. <laughs> Because the same, so this same seller, they sold the one that was a recreation of the box art from the Nintendo 64 version yes. of Play, or Resident Evil 2. So I was this like, one. well, the PlayStation one is the most iconic, but that doesn't exist right now, so I'll get the one that is here. I love this. Um, this is... And then, Mikey, after I bought that, I think me buying it made the seller be like, oh, people want this? So then they made a PlayStation 1 version. So I was like, <laughs> okay, well, this was the one I actually wanted, so now Mikey just has two. I love this. Oh, thank you so much, Roxy. I'm going to hang these uh, in two places in my room. And there you go. Yeah, I hope you like <laughs> double double Resident Nintendo Evil 2. 64 and PlayStation. You can wow. never have too many. That's why I asked you. I was like, Mikey, did you ever play the Nintendo 64 version of Resident Evil 2? Did you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I you were sure like, didn't. Uh, I did not. <laughs> I didn't. And I would not. I never will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rox. That's so nice. Happy birthday, Mikey. Aww. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> and I guess is Demon Bot stomping over here with a present of his own? Oh my God. He is carrying something. Hello, Mikey and Roxy. Hey, Demon Bot, what's up? Mikey, in celebration of your organic birthday, I have procured you a gift. Okay. Well, all right, Demon Bot, let me just open it up here. What could it be? Really, really I don't know if I should it. be scared for you or not, but I the, the thought uh, it's a thought that counts, right? It's a soggy box, first of all. Oh. Um, Demon Bot, did you get me? Well, there's a lot of humidity down here. <laughs> But with the swamps. I think he got me a box of water. A box of what? Like bottled water? No, it's just water in a cardboard box that's wrapped. Oh, that would explain the dripping out of the corner. Uh, I'm going to stand over here. If you recall, on Christmas, you got me oil to lubricate my joints, which is essential for proper demon robot butler maintenance. I appreciated the gift, so I got you something necessary for the functioning of your organic body, water. May it lubricate your joints well. Merry Christmas. Oh, it's my birthday, but thanks, Demon Bot. That's that's nice of you to have given me uh, a, a big wet box of water. Yeah, you can definitely ingest that. I, do, I'd like to say it's a thought that counts, but I think he might be still kind of mad that you took his Amazon box and gave it to him as a Christmas present. Mm. I think he's trying to get even in a very ironic and funny way here, Mikey. Why, Roxy, I would never do something for such crass reasons as petty revenge. Error. Sarcasm subroutine has overloaded. Please restart restore functionality. Oh, well, I must leave now to do a thing. We've learned a lot here today, Mikey, which is don't steal people's packages, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to get him an actual gift next year. He's made his point, <laughs> made his point clear. <laughs> we'll have to, I guess, pay more attention to his interests. He does have a lot of outfit changes. I'm thinking maybe get him something snazzy to wear. He might be a fashionista. He might be, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for haunted plugs, Mikey. So, Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mikey McCaller or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Mikey McCaller. Perfect. And very similarly, I am also on Twitter as at Roxy Polk and on Twitch as Roxy Polk. Uh, and also make sure to give us five stars on iTunes. Five scary stars. Or leave a review and share. Or scare. The podcast with your friends. And as always... Don't sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. Dude, these dark chocolate almonds are so perfect because like I'm kind of hungry, but I'm going to dinner in an hour. So it's like I can't mm -hmm. eat a thing, but I can eat a couple dark chocolate almonds. Yeah, they're really good, too. I bought those for myself, so I knew like they were good.